Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm always glad that you've decided to join us today. Uh, of course, this is growing season. Things are moving, uh, but not too quick because we need some rain. We need a good rain. I mean, maybe you've got some localized showers where you're growing and gardening, but um, oh, it's kind of dry. <laughs> so... We'll keep praying for rain. That makes our plants grow. We've got the heat. We've got the warmth. We need some moisture. If you've been providing your plants with nutrition, fertilizers, uh, whether they're organic or however you like to feed your plants, remember, compost, manures, they're also a good source for fertility for plants, kind of low dosages, if you will, but... They do help to improve the soil that your plant's roots are growing in. Even mulching a bed or mulching around a tree. As the mulch begins to break down and the earthworms, the beetles, bugs, fungus, and bacteria start to break that good organic matter down, they pull it into the soil and uh, they, they help to improve the soil. Drainage will improve. Water holding capacity will improve as well. Uh, basically, in summary... Organic matter is a miracle solution <laughs> for poor soils. It really is. Now, we've talked about some plants that uh, can thrive and in poor, poor soils, low fertility, you know, maybe dry soils, rocky soils, things like rosemary and lavender. And those are Mediterranean plants, so if you've got areas that are pretty poor, look for plants that can handle those poor soils. But in general, uh, roses, hydrangeas, uh, azaleas, dahlias, most of our flowering beloved plants, they do love a good rich soil. So be sure to, while you're watching your plants grow and tending to their leaves and their flowers, trimming them back and these things as they continue to grow, be sure to think about the soil. Don't forget about the soil because if we can improve the area where plants roots grow then overall health to the plant will also be improved and we are going to talk a bit about that today particularly with one group of plants or one group of plant uh, well there's several varieties cultivars and whatnot in this group I've had several people already approach me at the nursery uh, asking about problems with ornamental cherries and then I've had some people come into the nursery looking for ornamental cherry trees. Now, I use the word ornamental because that separates it from uh, the group of cherries that produce fruits uh, that are large and edible and tasty. Now, let's go ahead and talk about these fruiting cherries because it'll be a quick discussion. Um, we don't really grow fruiting cherries in the South in particular uh, because we don't have long enough 
winters. We don't have cold enough winters for them to set their flowers, open the flowers, and produce fruits. Uh, There was a gentleman who was gardening in Blairsville, and he said he had a, it was either Rainier or Bing. I think it might have been a Bing cherry. He had a beautiful Bing cherry tree. Maybe it was Rainier. Anyhow, this would be a fruiting cherry, but he had it in Blairsville for over 30 years, and in 30 years had not received a single fruit. Because when it comes to many fruit trees, they need a certain number of chill hours, which is the number of hours usually below 45 degrees uh, over winter. And we don't have enough chill hours for the high chill hour requirement that many of the fruiting cherries uh, do indeed need. And so you can grow a fruiting cherry tree. It will come with some problems. We're going to talk about general problems with any kind of cherry tree today. Um, But you may actually be disappointed because you may not get the fruits that you'd hope to have. And many people have asked me over the years uh, at the nursery in particular for fruiting cherries, and I hate to crash their dreams, but we've got to be a bit honest. We've got to come to reality with where we grow and the environment that we grow in here in the southeast. So again, before you purchase a fruiting cherry tree, be sure that you can find one, uh, or if you just want to give it a shot, but find one with low chill hour requirement. Uh, that way you have a better shot at actually producing. And then if you get a fruiting cherry that is producing fruits for you, you will come across an, another group of problems, and that would be diseases and whatnot. And we're going to talk about some of those today. As a matter of fact, some of the diseases that ornamental cherries get Fruiting cherries can get, uh, apples, pears can get, uh, peaches can get. Peaches, all of these plants are, are fairly closely related. Uh, to begin with, the ornamental cherry, um, as well as peaches and whatnot, these are in the rose family, Rosa Acei, great botanical term there. But they do belong to the rose family. They're distantly related to roses. And with that in mind, Because they are closely related, some of the diseases that roses get may also uh, be able to infect or cause problems on some of your fruiting plants as well, and in this case, ornamental cherries. So again, I've had people asking me for ornamental cherries to add to their landscape, and I've had people who uh, are having problems with existing ornamental cherries, and I thought that we could take today, because here we are in a very dry and hot situation situation right at the well we're getting close to the middle of June but I can only imagine what July will be like and it's this kind of weather that puts a lot of stress in particular on that cherry uh, group of plants the prunus group of plants and some prunus there are some native uh, cherry trees And and again, when I say cherry tree, I don't want you to think of those huge, delicious fruits because even though uh, our native cherries do produce certain fruits, they tend to be small, uh, like the little black cherry that we have, very small. Now, it's a great wildlife plant, but being in the prunus group, being a part of the cherry group, they do as well, maybe get spots, some disease issues. And then, of course, there are, as we'll find, we'll find out today, that there are a number of um, climactic issues or um, cultivation issues, culture, we call it. So the cultural issues, how the plant was planted. Is it planted too deep? Is it not receiving enough water? Is it receiving too much water? Um, 
is the soil fairly poor? You know, so there are a number of cultural issues that actually may be attributing to the decline um, of certain cherry trees. Again, when we talk about ornamental cherries, we are talking about several different cultivars and varieties. Some you may be familiar with, like Kwanzan and Yoshino, and one that was studied by the University of Georgia in um, the 90s, and it has really become quite popular uh, as a better variety for blooming cherries, ornamental cherries. That would be the Okami. Okami cherry is a hybrid between uh, one of the very large flower cherries and a very small kind of shrub-like cherry plant. They hybridized those two plants and they produced a mm, small tree, maybe 20 to 25 feet tall, 15 feet wide. Uh, And the Okami has a very pretty pink flower, but they're quite small flowers. But don't let the size of the Okami uh, flower itself disappoint you because they cluster. And they're, when you see an Okami cherry in bloom, the entire canopy is full of these small, soft pink uh, flowers. And so with that being said, you may have a Yoshino, you may have a Kwanzaa, you may have an Okami. And if you're looking around your landscape at these ornamental cherries, you may see them turning yellow. You may see black spots or holes in the leaves. And of course, um, I suspect if we don't get a a decent regular rainfall pretty soon, by the time we get to July, your cherry trees, your ornamental cherry trees may be dropping their leaves. They may turn completely yellow and defoliate. Of course, defoliate means that you have a tree with no leaves on it. Now, it would be normal for cherry trees to drop their leaves in the fall because they are deciduous plants. Deciduous plants, of course, drop their leaves over winter. However, uh, many cherries will do that uh, defoliation much earlier because of the stresses of our southeastern environment. So here's what you normally get in a year with a cherry tree. In the southeast. Of course, the very first thing that most cherries are going to do is they're going to bloom. So they're going to bloom quite early. Uh, Usually they bloom sometimes in March, uh, but it's very early spring and sometimes late winter if we have a very warm period where they get going. And then, of course, we may have a freeze that uh, compromises those blossoms. But That's the very first thing in the calendar year that you will see. Uh, As we come into the new year, there's no leaves, of course. There's uh, just twigs. But the very first thing they're going to do in very early spring or late winter is bloom. And they will put on a beautiful show for you for maybe two weeks. Maybe two weeks. That's about it. They are not necessarily going to rebloom because after they're done blooming, as we get into spring and temperatures are warming up, their leaves are going to, and buds break and the leaves unfurl, and you have that beautiful bright green leaf that eventually sort of, um, Uh, sort of ripens or matures, if you will, to a dark green. And they will look decent in that early part of spring. We're getting rain usually. Uh, The temperatures aren't so brutal. But then as we go through, say, this period of time, June, July, and into August, into real summer, uh, things change in our environment, don't they? We get less rainfall and we get increased temperatures. Now, the one thing the cherry likes is really 
cooler weather. So they don't love our heat. But the other thing they don't like is the humidity that we have here in the southeast. The humidity, of course, encourages bacteria and fungus to grow and prolificate on plants' leaves. It can um, uh, certain uh, pathogens can get into their stems and into their bark and even into their roots. So the response of this plant, uh, particularly if we're hot and and dry as far as the soil is concerned, is to go through what I like to call a stress-induced dormancy. That means that the plant realizes or recognizes, of course, we don't think plants have brains, they don't have brains like ours, but they can respond to certain climactic uh, stimulus. And so what happens then is you get the dry and you get the heat and those leaves say, all right, we've got to shut down production because we're losing too much water and that might sacrifice the entire life of the plant. So usually in the heat of summer, you have a leafless tree. So really, uh, from that point on, you have a leafless tree. You get to fall, leafless tree, all winter long, leafless tree. So in the southeast, if we're going to grow these ornamental cherries, we've got to recognize that they come with some issues. And to me, of course, um, I think that a plant that only blooms for two weeks looks good for maybe two, two and a half months with leaves and all, and then drops their leaves in the middle of summer, and it looks like winter for the rest of the year until next spring. I wonder if we should be using less of a plant that does that. I wonder. So they are beautiful when they're blooming, right? And then, of course, a late freeze happens and those blooms get compromised. So that's always a concern or potential problem. But the life of the tree um, or life cycle of this kind of tree, ornamental cherry in the southeast, I don't know if it really stands up to par. Should we be growing these plants that look good for, you know, three months maybe out of the year? That's only a quarter of an entire year. And of course, many of these cherries like Kwanzan and uh, Yoshino can become quite large. They can have a great impact in the landscape. But if they don't look good for nine months out of the year, I don't know. I just wonder what we should do. So after we talk about some of the problems that these cherry trees can come up with and you may have to experience and deal with, uh, I will give you a short list of good alternatives at the end of the program today. Some good alternatives. Some of them will be native um, native ornamental trees. So they'll, these alternatives will be about the same size. They will be bloomers. They will be blooming. Uh, but they may not have exactly the same kind of flower that those cherry trees we love so much have but i think that looking into alternatives plants that actually can handle a beautiful year's worth of of beauty is better than three months so after this break we'll talk more about the decline of these particular cherry plants hang on tight Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share 
whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So gang, you know, probably most gardening programs would not talk much about ornamental cherry trees this time of year. But before the break, I was telling you that uh, cherry trees have a number of issues associated with our summers in particular. And I think that it's probably more critical to talk about ornamental cherries this time of year than maybe it would be in the spring when they're blooming and looking beautiful. Because, of course, from the nursery, plant nursery perspective, it is very easy to sell ornamental cherries in the spring. Because, of course, they're full of blooms. You've got those big, blousy white ones, big, blousy pink ones, small, little, tiny pink ones, like on the Okami cherry. And it's like eye candy for anybody shopping in the nurseries. So, with that in mind... I think that we've got to be up front when we're planting our ornamental cherries and talk about the number of issues that they will surely have in a year's time. Of course, uh, before the break, I sort of gave you a say the life cycle of our cherry trees, ornamental cherry trees here in the South. They bloom early in the spring. They put out their leaves. They look decent. And then as the temperatures increase, maybe humidity increases or even stress around the root system from being too dry when rainfall is lacking, they start to go on a decline. So I guess if we put a name on today's program, it's the rapid decline of ornamental cherries in the Southeast. But when we get to summer, that's when I start hearing from homeowners, gardeners, thinking that their cherry trees are dying. And I will say that usually they don't just die, but they may look like they have died because by the time we get to summer, the foliage is turning yellow and dropping. They're defoliating. And that's usually a response not necessarily to disease. Sometimes it very well is, and we will talk about some of those diseases uh, shortly. But in many cases, it's just a response to the climate. Uh, Lack of moisture and increased temperatures. If we were cooler and maybe more... Our soils were more moist, but we go through periods where our soil is moist, but then a long period where it's dry. And that is not something that cherries tend to like. So generally, a cherry tree, at least some of the extension papers, say that uh, the lifespan can range from 20 to 25 years uh, in a typical landscape for most ornamental cherries. And that probably is a good estimate. Sometimes you'll surely have some outliers, uh, plants that live much longer than that. But if your plant has a number of problems that are never addressed, then probably a couple of decades to a couple of decades and a half is a lifespan of a cherry. So not a super long-lived tree. Of course, many of our native trees are going to live for 100 plus years, uh, and cherry trees tend not to be uh, that long-lived. But um, because we generally have uh, moist soils and are humid, our air 
is quite humid, especially when we have decent rainfall. That favors diseases. Uh, wet seasons, we'll just say wet seasons favors diseases on really any plant, but particularly today we're talking about these ornamental cherries. But like I said, it's not just the disease that may give us problems. It's also the, the simple fact that uh, our climate is a bit wonky. <laughs> is it too dry? Is it too wet in the place that they're planted? Uh, is it too hot? So there's a number of things, even, even as far back as how that tree was planted can affect how it performs. So let's look at some of the things that we may experience with our cherry trees. And this kind of applies to many of those fruit trees we talked about that are closely related uh, to the cherry, like peaches and pears and whatnot. There's this strange thing I've never talked about on the pro, uh, program, but it's called gamosis. Gamosis. Now, that is the presence of a gummy sap, particularly on the bark of a plant, the trunk, and could even be on the branches. But uh, gamosis is this extruded sap from any damaged area of the plant's bark that uh, can be caused by a variety of environmental conditions like soil that might be saturated with water. Also, there are some insects called borers, and borers, they drill into the bark and make these almost perfect uh, circle holes, but that gamosis kicks in. The plant responds to those borers by producing a heavy flow of sap that gets gummy right there around the damage that those borers have caused. And so that could be a key indicator that there's some insect presence. So kind of look at the uh, six to eight inch area just above the soil line and see if you see any of that. Now, another thing that you may see is voles. Uh, voles are those creatures. We've talked about them before, but they're mammals. They're like little rat little mice <laughs> they do look like a tailless my, mouse but they will literally feed around the base of plants chewing and girdling girdling i don't know if many people wear those anymore but we know from history at least that that girdle squeezes around the waist of a person well a girdle around a tree is the complete separation uh, the complete separation of the vascular system or the bark, that area just inside the bark, and that's been damaged and destroyed. And that makes everything above the girdle die back because it's like strangling the plant. Water cannot go up and food that the leaves produce cannot go down to the root system. But that can kill a tree just because, again, of all the damage that's being done to the um, vascular system. Now, some other things you may see on the bark or the branches, maybe even right under the bark, is cankers and a browning of that tissue underneath the bark. So if you see an area that's compromised, just scrape away some of the, the tree bark and see if you see browning or some kind of lesion there. Um, because that could be the presence of a wilt, like verticillium wilt, 
Um, or Phytophthora is another kind of rot that can come in. Now, these are soil-borne diseases, and if the soil that they're planted in, uh, the trees are planted in, tends to stay moist, or I shouldn't say moist, but wet, if it's saturated soils, then you may experience some of those uh, Phytophthora root rots or Verticillium wilts. And of course, uh, what the plant does in response to these wilts is the leaves tend to turn yellow, and they drop off in the summer. But yellow leaves dropping in the summer does not necessarily mean you have one of these uh, cankers or wilt problems, but it could be one of the issues. So another thing to look at underneath the bark is if you scrape away a bit and you see these these white kind of fan-shaped fungal mats between the bark and the wood. This is another type of root rot called armillaria, and it tends to infect the trees that leads to a collapse in midsummer. So those are just a few things to look for as far as like the base of the plant is concerned, as far as the trunk and the bark of a plant is concerned. Yes, we've talked about a number of things that are um, caused by another creature, whether it's a fungus or a bacteria or even a mammal like a vole. But there are definitely some abiotic. Abiotic just means without biology. So there's not a, another creature, uh, fungal, bacteria, mammal, there's insect. There's not another creature causing this problem, but there's simply uh, something going on in the environment, a cultural situation. And gamosis, that oozing of the sap, can also um, be caused b- by the environment. So you really got to start looking uh, around and see if you see that oozing of the sap. It's usually uh, a response to something that is going wrong. So be on the lookout for that. Now, stress in general. I know we're coming up on a break, but the environmental stresses are a real thing. It can be weather-related. Is it? Are we going through a drought? Is it too wet? Is it too dry? Is it extremely hot? Or maybe it got cold right there at the end of, of winter. Um, these are definitely some things that can cause issues with your cherry trees. So, well, we've got to head to a break, but when we get back, we're going to keep talking about some of the environmental factors that may be causing your cherry not to look so good right now. And then, of course, we'll talk about some solutions to ease the pain. Hang on tight. Green is some Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So, gang, you know, here in the South, we do love our ornamental cherry trees. And our ornamental cherry trees usually look very good. They're either blooming or have a great flush of leaves providing light shade for maybe three months out of the year. (laughs) They do come, growing ornamental cherries comes with not just dealing with uh, diseases and insects, but growing ornamental cherries in the South also comes 
with dealing with our environment, just the general kind of climactic or cultural situations that they're growing in. And before the break, we were talking about how the environmental conditions like weather-related drought, maybe too wet of soil or too moist of air, extreme heat or maybe very cold temperatures later in the uh, winter or early spring like a late freeze or frost. These are things that can affect a cherry tree just as much as growing um, or rather as dealing with insects and disease. Now another thing that to continue our discussion on why cherry trees may look kind of rough over summer uh, other than weather is poor planting, poor planting and site conditions. You know, with any plant, planting appropriately is going to ensure a longer life for whatever you're planting. If you plant any plant too deep, you can cause, um, uh, you can cause girdling by having a thick layer of soil pressed up and all around the base of a plant stem or trunk that can cause rot wherever the soil touches the stem when we're planting any plant it would be better to plant it a little higher than the soil but never too deep below the soil plant stems need to be exposed to the air from the tip of the tree down to the root flare which is an kind of flared out area near the base where the tree trunk is becoming a root. So be sure you've not planted it too deeply, but if you uh, planted a cherry tree that was in a burlap bag, maybe with a wire cage, that stuff needs to be removed so the plant's roots can actually penetrate out uh, into the soil rather than being locked up tight in a cage um, or a burlap bag. Now, of course, proper drainage. This is a cultural thing. Does the soil drain well? Cherries don't mind moist soil, but they need well-drained soil. So we don't want extreme dry soil, and we don't want extreme wet soil. We want a happy medium somewhere right between that. We call that moist soil. And then, of course, cherry trees really do need a full sun. In order to produce heavy blossoms, they do need full sun. And even though in the summer, a partly shaded cherry tree would probably benefit from a break in the sun and the heat in particular from the afternoon uh, sun, it really does need to be in the sun at least six to eight hours. So I have seen some cherry trees that um, they maybe maintain their foliage when they're planted uh, in a shady situation because they're not in that full-on heat, that slaughter of heat that we get in the summer. But then when spring comes, they don't bloom very well. So if you can give your cherry ornamental cherry trees six to eight hours of morning sun and maybe afternoon shade, that would be just fine. Now, another cultural thing that cherry trees, as really any tree, but definitely cherry trees can suffer from is physical damage, damage to the trunk. Sometimes this comes uh, from deer scratching their antlers in the fall and trying to get that velvet off of their newly grown antlers. They're scratching the bark of your tree that happens a lot and they tend to like 
these small diameter trunk trees that we put in the landscape. I know, folks, there are a ton of small diameter trunk trees uh, in the woods, but why do they come to the ones we've just planted? I cannot answer that. And then, of course, we talked about voles, those little mice-like creatures that... um, eat around the base of a plant, they can cause damage. But it's not just it's not just those wildlife mammals that do damage. It's also humans. That's right, landscape crews, uh, maybe yourself, if you're mowing around a tree and you gash the bark with the mowing deck, uh, or if you've got a weed trimmer and you are whipping that string up against the bark of a tree, that's causing damage. Not only can the damage itself be a problem, but any wound that is made on a tree uh, is open for infection. It's ready to receive bacteria and fungus, and particularly over summer when it's warm and usually humid, that's when bacteria will do its worst. So girdled roots, maybe underground, things that are pinching off uh, root systems down below. Um, And of course, maybe if you've used string or cords and tied around plants, um, any kind of straps that maybe come with the plant for staking purposes really need to be removed after six months of being attached to the tree because after that, the plant will start absorbing that uh, string or that wire and it will surely cause girdling like we've talked about. So these are all things, of course, that um, uh, that we need to be on the lookout for any kind of kind of damage that you may see that can surely cause some some issues when we talk about damaging a tree uh, with a lawnmower or weed eater i think that whenever we plant a tree we should put a uh, two inch layer of mulch ring around the base so you're making a tree ring if you will putting it in its own little bed because that will make it easier for you to mow around it And you won't have grass that needs to be trimmed right up against the trunk of the plant. If you keep a mulched ring around any tree, definitely these ornamental cherries, but that keeps it contained in a safe place that's less likely for a lawn mowing crew or yourself to try to get as close as you can to the tree to kill or cut back any weeds or grass that may be growing. Put the plant in a small bed so you can easily mow around the bed rather than mowing around the tree, nicking it and causing damage. Now, those are just some things that uh, your cherry tree may suffer from, either from just negligence, not not uh, keeping the lawnmower and weed eater off of it, or of course, the wildlife can come and damage the plant. But then again, there are some things that we need to be on the lookout for, particularly this time of year, that are caused by a pathogen or a pest. So we are going to talk about some diseases that ornamental cherry trees get, and then we'll mention some insects that ornamental cherry trees uh, can suffer with as well. One of the first thing I want to talk about is a disease called the cherry shot hole disease. Now, the cherry shot hole disease, it looks like each leaf has been sprayed with buckshot or BBs shot through. So you've got these small, maybe one inch in diameter, almost perfectly round circles going through the leaves. Now, when you see that, you probably automatically think 
There's an insect chewing holes in the leaves, but it's not necessarily an insect. Most of the time, this is a disease. Some people say it's a combination of bacteria and fungus. I've heard it called a virus before, particularly with our cherry laurels, which are more of an ornamental shrub, uh, but they are closely related to cherries very closely, and they can both share this shot hole disease. So again, what you'll see uh, kind of early on in the season is you'll see these shot holes put into the leaves, tiny round holes, and um, sometimes it appears to be worse during wet seasons, uh, wet springs, and we did have quite a wet spring this year, and I'm seeing a lot of photos of people having issues with this shot hole disease, but eventually those leaves that have holes in them are going to turn yellow, and they'll probably fall off the tree maturely, uh, prematurely, so sometime in the summer. So if you see perfectly round holes in your leaves, don't automatically think you're going to need to spray for an insect. Rather, you're probably going to have to treat for uh, disease. Then there are the cankers, right? The cankers. Now, these are things we've already alluded to, um, but cankers can enter the plant through insects drilling or chewing into the bark of the stem and the leaves, uh, rather trunk, or those lawnmower wounds. So yes, damage to a plant by a lawnmower is one thing, but then you start to get um, disease coming in. And again, what you're looking for is dark or loose brown bark that's usually kind of sunken. It's not full of life anymore, uh, but it has kind of sunken. And it's possible if you look underneath loose bark, you may find some fungal growth. So that's cankers. Now, in the wintertime, the next problem is usually very noticeable because there's no leaves on the trees, but you've probably seen this as a kid. I saw it on wild plants all the time. Uh, we call it black knot, and black knot is sort of this uh, brain-shaped but very dark black growth on twigs and stems. Now, this kind of gnarly uh, swelling along the stem, but you find it again in the fall and maybe through the winter because it's quite noticeable when the leaves on the trees are gone. This black knot um, is an issue, and so one of the best things to do is to prune it out and dispose of the infected wood below the visible damage. So find the closest to the tree that it's growing and probably go inwards another six inches and make your cut there so you can trim out some of that black knot. Uh, one more disease that we probably should mention is brown rot. It's a fungal infection that usually attacks our flowering cherries, and particularly we see it pretty heavy on Kwanzaa cherry, but it comes in the late spring just as the flowers are starting to fade, and and you will start to see the tips and you'll start to see some of the new leaves start to even some of the um, the blossoms themselves may start kind of rotting in with this brown color. And so being a fungal disease, uh, spraying preventatively before the flower buds come out is a good idea. You could use copper, you could use sulfur as organic options, uh, but you could also find um, a, um, a more chemical form if you're you're into that kind of thing. So those are a few diseases that you're going to find. Those are problems with cherries that actually happen because another organism is pre present. And of course, some of those organisms can also be 
little bit bigger, a little easier to identify than bacteria and fungus, uh, insects. Of course, borers, we've already talked about the borers. Now, they literally drill into the, the bark of a tree. They are trying to lay their eggs inside of the tree. And many times, these borers, like emerald ash, emerald ash and... Uh, I can't think of the other name. I didn't write the other one down. But these insects are drilling in, and they're trying to lay their eggs inside. And unfortunately, the mother borer, she usually has a disease on her body that she's depositing. It's not really her fault. She doesn't know it. But she's going from one infected tree to maybe your tree, which is not infected yet. And so it's kind of a two-for-one with many borers. And again, you get some of that gumosis, that oozing out of that real um, kind of gummy-like sap. Then caterpillars. Of course, caterpillars we all love, but uh, tent caterpillars can be a problem. The fall fall webworm, um, they are going to uh, be numerous and they're going to make those uh, kind of uh, thick, dense, um, uh, web-like constructions. They're quite uh, the architectural people. that uh, They really do build these intricate things. Now, they devour a lot of the foliage. They're not necessarily going to kill the tree, but it definitely will slow it down. And again, by the time the fall webworm comes, there's not many leaves on the tree left. So you don't have much time to really have to even deal with them. Uh, but when we get back from this break, we're going to talk about a couple more insects. I think you'll be familiar with one of them uh, that are going to wreak havoc on your ornamental cherries. So hang on tight and we'll talk, continue to talk about the rapid decline of our ornamental cherry trees here in the southeast. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. All right, gang, so I want to clarify something. I've kind of used the term of uh, maybe titling today's program as the rapid decline of the ornamental cherry in the southeast in particular. And I want to say that um, I don't mean that the cherry tree is planted and dies quickly, that it has a short life. Many of our cherry trees that we grow here in the southeast can live for a couple of decades, maybe three. So they're quite long-lived as far as, you know, the life of a human's concerned. But what I mean is like the ornamental value of the cherry tree in any given season or year 
is quite limited. So when we talk about the ornamental value of plants, we're saying, okay, if a plant blooms, it's got ornamental value. If a plant has a pretty shape or form, it has a great value, ornamental value. Um, if a plant has certain color foliage or maybe a texture of foliage, there may be some ornamental value there. But when it comes to the cherry tree, they bloom for just a couple of weeks. So it does have ornamental value, but it's only a couple of weeks long. And then, of course, the tree itself is going to quickly probably drop most of its leaves with a hot, dry summer or maybe a hot, wet summer. It goes both ways because of environmental factors or cultural factors, climactic environmental factors, uh, which again, we've talked about. And so the ornamental value of a cherry tree rapidly declines as soon as the year gets started. You get a couple of weeks of bloom, and then if it doesn't freeze and damage the blooms, they naturally fall off. The new leaves come out. They look great. They're fresh leaves. But then quickly disease sets in maybe, or of course, as it gets hotter and drier, the leaves start falling off the plant. And where's the ornamental value in a tree that looks like winter in the summer? If Right? like So if you have a tree in the landscape with no leaves in the summer, it looks like it's wintertime. For that tree, what is the ornamental value there? It's a rapid decline of ornamental value. So before the break, we were talking about some um, insects that can cause uh, havoc on your plants. Of course, borers and caterpillars. And now I'll mention one that's called scale. And of course, um, the preferred host plants for scale is in the uh, prunus or cherry family. And what you see with scale is you see very small insects, which they don't really look like insects. They literally are flat bodied. Um, when they're young, they're crawling around, but they quickly find a place to live on the stem and, and trunk in particular branches. And those, uh, we call them crawlers, those little crawler scale babies, they find a place to make their home. They have their mouth parts on the underside of their body and they ad adhere themselves they adhere themselves to the branch and their body starts to harden over now you can uh, use your fingernail or maybe a, a, a little thin piece of metal like a blade and scratch them off and you'll see that they um, all their their mouth parts are underneath so when we're trying to treat scale it's hard to use a spray, whether it's organic or chemical, because, of course, their hardened body um, is facing you, but their soft mouth part, where you really need those chemistries to work, is facing the bark, and they're attached and adhered to it quite, um, quite greatly. So look for scale. It's a problem on many plants and trees. Um, they can, of course... Uh, uh, not be a dramatic problem, but they are sucking sap out of the plant, weakening it slowly. If you have a heavy infestation, the plant will surely respond to that, and it may not be good. Then lastly, in the insect world, we do want to talk about our beloved imported beetle, the Japanese beetle. Of course, I say imported because it's not from here. It's not a native beetle. It's from Japan. But of course, we know they love our bean plants. They love certain, they love roses, and they do love cherry trees and many of the trees that are in the prunus or cherry family. So of course, plants in the rose family are also their preferred uh, food to feast on. So you will probably have to deal with some of that. Usually you will spot Japanese beetles because they're working during the day. They don't come out at night like slugs or snails. Uh, they are working during the day and you will see them on leaves eating away. They skeletonize leaves. So that's where 
Um, the fleshy part of the leaf is being consumed, but the more rigid, fibrous parts of the leaf is left behind. And you're left with this kind of skeleton-like look or lacy-like look. And of course, Japanese beetles can easily be picked off. They're large insects. You can pick them off, put them in a so. Uh, a pail of soapy warm water and, and they will die there. Of course, there are certain treatments that you can go with. There are plenty of systemics that will work from the inside out. So you water the systemic into the root system. The chemistry goes in the roots, up the stems, into the leaves, and into the flowers. So you, you got to be careful with that if you're trying to kill insects because, of course, when the plant is blooming, uh, it may be attracted to pollinators and inside of the, the flower with systemics will be that insecticide. So be sure, with as with any pest problem, that you're identifying what you're dealing with. But gang, that is pretty much a, a summary of some of the things, quite numerous, right? Quite numerous uh, issues that we can have with cherry trees. So from the environmental standpoint, if we can keep our plants more moist, uh, not wet, not dry, but maybe water our cherry trees, if we don't water anything else, that will help them not have so much stress. Mulching them is going to help keep moisture in the soil moder moderated. And of course, feeding them regularly to make sure they have everything they need to produce healthy, strong leaves so they can grow uh, more strong stems. And of course, into the uh, springtime, they can bloom well for us. Well, other than growing ornamental cherries, there are a few things that I want to mention. There is a native ornamental cherry that we're loving at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flyer Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. It's called Schubert cherry. It's one of our native, some people call them a choke cherry. So they are in this Prunus family, but because they're from here, they're not imported from some other foreign location, they seem to do much better. Now, being in the cherry family, still have to struggle with Japanese beetles and certain things, uh, but they, they don't... Uh, they don't respond quite like the other ornamental cherries from other parts of the world do in our heat and in our climate because they are from this part of the world. They are from this climate, so they tend to do better. We have one called Schubert cherry, has a purple leaf and red. Canada red is another cultivar of this same choke cherry, Virginia choke cherry. The red uh, Canada red has, again, a red purple leaf, and they're quite attractive. They don't have those huge blossoms, of course, that you see with the um, Kwanzaa and Yoshino, but they do have sort of this string of small white pinkish flowers in, in the early spring. And then, of course, uh, service berries. Service berries should probably be at the top of that list. It's another native small ornamental tree. They bloom in the spring like the cherry. They have a like apple blossom kind of bloom. Uh, they have a blue-green leaf and then awesome fall color. Remember, the ornamental cherries usually drop their leaves in the summer, so you don't have great fall color on those in the southeast, but you will on a service berry. And I should mention like red bud, even though red bud, which is uh, a native plant here, uh, Circus canadensis comes from this part of the world, does come with its issues. But again, it's a spring bloomer like the Yoshino cherries would have less of a problem dealing with our climate in the summer. Even though they can wilt and respond accordingly, they don't get quite the number of issues um, that the ornamental cherry does. So again, I'm trying to sort of make a case against using ornamental cherry in the landscape. Not that I don't think we should use it at all. But I don't think we should overpopulate our gardens with it or we'll have sort of a depressive look in the summer when they all drop their leaves and have those shot holes in them and yellow leaves if they even have leaves. So uh, for New Southern Garden and WRWH. Give it that good.
My name is Nathan Wilson. I hope you stay well, grow well, and keep an eye on those ornamental cherries this summer. Y'all have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.